podcast from Aberdeen Investment Trusts. Hello and welcome to today's podcast on the Dunedin Income Growth Investment Trust. I'm Cherry Raynard and with me today is Trust Manager Ben Ritchie. We also welcome Samantha Brownlee who joined Ben as co-manager on the Trust from the start of this month. We're here to chat through some of the key issues facing the UK stock market today and look at how that's influencing positioning on the Trust. Welcome, Ben. Welcome, Sam. Ben, if I could start with you. It's been a good start to the year for UK equities. And, you know, we haven't been able to say that for a while. Is this just kind of a value rotation or do you think there's more at work here? Yeah, Jerry, certainly it's been a you know relatively strong performance for the UK market. Uh, I think at its heart, the UK does have more exposure to companies which would be deemed, I guess, value names. So big exposure to commodities, metals, mining, oil, big banks, um, some of the cheaper pharmaceuticals. Um, so, yes, I think very much exposure to those types of companies. I'm not so sure, though, that those companies are doing well just because they're value companies. I think it, it's actually because the earnings prospects for them have, have definitely looked look to improve since the start of the year. So I think, yes, there's a sentiment thing. Yes, there's been a rotation towards companies with, with low multiples. Um, but I think if you look at what's happened to the oil price, if you look at what's happened to gas prices, if you look at what's happened to the iron ore price, if you look at what's happened to the short term interest rates around the world, you know, those things have all moved up. And generally speaking, that's that's pretty good news for those types of businesses. Um, you know, there have been some sectors which are arguably on very low multiples, such as house building, which have actually performed very poorly uh, this year. So it's not just about cheap multiples. Um, I think it is also about the earnings prospects looking a little healthier for some of those segments. And I would say also, you know, the UK isn't over inundated with lots of really high multiple growth companies, unlike uh, some other markets. So I think you know, we've benefited from not having the compression that we've seen in, in multiples in some of those areas as well. So I think it's a sort of mixed picture. But generally, I think earnings outlook for the UK market is looking, looking healthier than it has done for a while. Great. And turning to you, Sam, there's, there's been a lot of sort of activist investment in some of the UK's highest profile companies. So we've seen interest in Vodafone, for example. Is, is this only kind of in problem companies where there's kind of an element of distress or, or is it, you know, people are realising the value in UK markets and, and sort of moving in? Yeah, so I kind of, I, I take two broad kind of things away from, you know, this kind of pick up an activist kind of activity. One would be you, the UK market is, uh, is good value. So that allows you to step in here when you're when you're thinking about it on a global uh, on a global basis, where a lot of these people, you know, have lots of opportunities to to go anywhere, and they see value in the UK companies. Uh, the other thing is that we have the corporate governance structure that allows it, and allows you to get the benefit out of it as well. So you, because we don't have as a lot of you know big government stakes in the companies, we don't have large family ownership issues that are overhanging and have majority control or multiple share classes and voting rights in particular types of share classes you know we don't have that we have a very good structure for corporate governance so that means you can have a real impact through your shareholding and i think it's it's kind of just shows that there's lots of ways to realize value and an activist way of doing so is is a bit more um you know in the paper a bit more public so to speak and whereas we see a lot of ability to realize value by engaging in a different kind of way. So, for example, when you see these companies have a lot of press activity, a lot of, you know, people's talking about the activist investors and all the things that they're looking for from the company, you know, we are 
all the time engaging with our companies and we are having these conversations all the time um it might not be with the same the same needs and outlook that, that some of the activists have uh where it might have been things that we have already discussed with them or are in in process of discussing with them uh for a long time so you know i think that it's just one way of doing things um and it works for some people we do things a little bit differently but we're we're very on the front foot with that kind of engagement and realizing value so i think it just it highlights an opportunity and uh, and uh, just does it a slightly different way Ben, on interest rates, um, obviously we saw a quarter point rise yesterday and the market still seem to be pricing in faster rate rises in the UK than elsewhere. Do you agree that that's likely and could that be a drag on UK equities or, or actually could it be good for some some areas? Well, I think rising interest rates are you know, a kind of mixed bag. Uh, certainly it's helpful for banks not all banks, but it's certainly helpful for deposit-funded banks where they can um, move up the price of their loans ahead of the cost of their funds. So that's definitely helpful for some segments. And I think at these sorts of levels of increase, they're probably not a huge break on growth overall. But I think there is that balance to be considered, you know, what sort of level uh, of interest rate increases can the economy take before you know, we, we start to see a negative impact on, on growth. And I think, you know, central banks have been cautious on raising interest rates. I think they prefer to let the recovery take hold. I think they're now seeing their hand forced by the level of inflation that we're seeing being reported. I, I, I still can't help but feel that economies are somewhat fragile and that we don't really know uh, how resilient and robust we're going to be uh, as sort of things evolve. And we are seeing some signs that you know, the, the rapid growth rebound following COVID is slowing. And then at the same time, we've got interest rate increases coming through. So I think it really depends just how far that takes us uh, as we as we move through the year, really. You know, I think if we see rates moving up, you know, 100 basis points or so, you know, that's probably manageable. You know, if we see things moving up a, a lot more than that, then perhaps that might start to, that might start to act as something of a there's something of a break on growth. I mean, I think the market's pricing in about five increases in interest rates before the end of the year. So, you know, that takes us up to, you know, one, one and a quarter, something like that. That's probably a level at which the, you know, the economy uh, economy can manage. But I think we'll just have to see how that, how that evolves. And I think, again, there's this sort of double thing to think about. On the one hand, rising interest rates, pushing up discount rates, perhaps putting in some compression on valuation. But then on the other hand, probably an earnings environment for companies that is just getting a little bit more difficult. And again, it's trading off that balance between valuation risk uh, and earnings risk that investors are going to have to weigh quite carefully, I think, as we move through this year and into next. Ben, you mentioned the, the sort of uncertainty of the outlook there. How are you handling that in the in the portfolio? Are you trying to kind of keep a balance between defensive and economic recovery names or, or are you just sort of Plowing through with what you know. Yeah, I think we always like to try and have, have this idea of being quite balanced. And, and actually, that probably hasn't been particularly helpful for us in the, in the last couple of months, because you know, our idea of balance is more from an absolute perspective as opposed to a relative one. The UK market arguably is quite heavily weighted to uh, you know, commodities and, and, and some areas of financials where, where we have exposure, but where we're, we're less weighted. So that is a bit of a relative drag. And then with our focus on more sustainable approach to investing and that means that there are some segments of the market where we where we can't invest so tobacco oil or largely around a lot of the oil companies don't make it through our through our criteria so you know, to some extent you know those aren't available for us as options 
but we'd certainly have you know good exposure to financials uh, we've tried to find investments that can perhaps be led by the same types of dynamics as some of the commodity plays in the market but which maybe operate in different sectors so that could be owning something like Weir Group that makes pumps that supply the mining uh, companies as opposed to being mining companies themselves. A company like Volvo, uh, which makes trucks for freight, but also makes construction equipment. So again, not exactly the same thing, but it's, it's dialed into, into similar economic drivers as to some of the, some of the commodity plays. So, so that's one way of us looking to mitigate that. But, but probably overall, if we do see very, very strong performance from the oil sector and miners, that, that is going to be a you know, a headwind for us overall. But that's something which we're, we're comfortable as, as part of our overall strategy. Sam, on the last podcast, we, we talked about financials, which remain the largest weighting in the portfolio. This time, I was wondering if we can look at healthcare, which is the second largest sector. What types of companies are you invested in there? And, and why do you like the sector? Yeah, so yeah, we do like healthcare. We're we're overweight. You know, healthcare is an interesting area. You know, when you think about the pharmaceutical uh, industry, you have some very good kind of structural tailwinds and and demographics and aging populations. It's also an area where you see a lot of you know growth in in the scientific uh, exploration and a lot of innovation as a result of that. You also have big pockets of, of high uh, unmet need. You know, when you think about areas like oncology, for example, um, and so that results in a lot of demand and and then good pricing as well in those markets. So we like some areas that have, you know, some structural exposure to that. So we have a good exposure to uh, Nova Nordis, for example, has has fantastic market shares in diabetes markets, both uh, type one and type two. And that's obviously a very growing market. Um, and they have kind of adjacencies into obesity as well, which is, which is linked. Um, and that's very strong, highly innovative company. We also have exposure to um, AstraZeneca, which is very big in oncology, um, has quite a diversified portfolio and now has rare diseases as well. So you see a lot of growth underpinning in their markets. And then they're also particularly good at the R&D and managing the life cycle of the products as well throughout. So not just having a product and letting it roll through, but also seeing how you can extend it, how you can change the way that it's given and also um, broaden its indication into different types of cancer, for example. So, you know, those are two that we like. We also do have some exposure to some smaller companies that would be more uh, more niche focused. So whether that's something like animal health or, or genetics, th- those are areas that we see strong companies with great competitive positioning, diversified portfolios. So in animal health, for example, you get you know, one of the benefits of pharmaceuticals for human uh, pharmaceuticals is that you have a very strong competitive advantage for the time that your patent lasts. But then the, the flip side of that is obviously you have to deal with when the patent expires. Now, with animal health, you don't have that same kind of issues. Um, and you also don't have the, the same kind of competitive dynamics. Um, it's a much smaller market, much more niche products. And that gives a different kind of dynamic to the investment so it's one that's it's quite interesting in its own right so you know there's it's quite a diverse kind of little area yeah it's, it's a good place to be we quite like it and you mentioned earlier about the importance of engagement do you have any examples from the healthcare sector that you you could draw out yeah absolutely so uh, one that um you know we, we we talked we spent some time on which was quite an interesting one was was genus it's a an animal genetics company and what's interesting is that it, it 
when you when you think about engagement, especially with you're thinking about kind of ESG and this evolving landscape that we have and sustainability and and as people try to navigate how to interpret data and 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 try to hold all these companies um, to some kind of standard, you you tend to get things bucketed into certain kind of pockets. So uh, in the healthcare space, you would because the majority of it are large pharmaceutical businesses. That one of the big things that people tend to, to focus on is supply chain and the integrity of your supply chain, the sanctity of it, uh, and security of it. And Genus is because it's an animal genetics company. It is the very beginning of the supply chain, and so you can see that it there would be an almost a mistake that happens there when it gets bucketed into a high risk category. Why isn't it talking about its supply chain? Why have we not got evidence of its of its supply chain? Actually, because it is that it is its own beginning of the supply chain, and what it does is feeds through better genetics through to the supply chain down from them uh, and feeds in better feed conversion ratios. It feeds in better uh, meat quality, uh, better dairy and uh, milk production. So you have less animals, less requirement, um, less uh, greenhouse gas emissions going forward um, and just a more productive base that, that feeds throughout the world. So they also are do, do fantastic work um, in incorporating solar power into all of their sites and doing more electronic vehicles. So we have areas of engagement there where we uh, encourage the company to continue investing in those areas and we take them to task on um, the metrics that they have and help them understand what we're looking for in terms of progress um, and, and everything towards, uh, you know, ESG. Um, so those that, that was a good one that I thought was enlightening because it shows um, you know, how you can really, when you engage with a company, you can really get to the heart of something and that, that really matters. So I find that very um, invigorating for that conversation. And Ben, just a final question to you. Um, what are you thinking about in terms of the biggest risks to markets at the moment? There seems to be a lot of risk out there, but are there any that are bothering you particularly? I, I think it's it's that uh, balance, I think, really, Cherry, that we sort of touched on earlier. Uh, funnily enough, I, I'm probably less worried about uh, the sort of impact on valuation from rising discount rates than I am really just, I think, about the environment becoming becoming more challenging and having to navigate through that. So I think that's probably the thing which, which, which we're most focused on at the moment, which is just making sure that we're comfortable, that the, the companies are in are in good shape that they're likely to be relatively resilient and if anything looking to allocate more 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 capital in in those sorts of directions really so i think overall it, it's taking a, a sort of maybe a slightly more cautious view on the the overall growth outlook globally and just sort of seeing how that may impact and you know there are a number of moving pieces in all of that i mean part of it might be the maturity of the recovery which is starting to slow some things to do with the annualization effect from previous very, very strong growth. Um, and then also, you know, we don't really quite know how the, the withdrawal of fiscal support and then also, I think, you know, tightening monetary policy is going to is going to play out. And clearly, these things tend to be quite lagged uh, in terms of their impact. So typically, certainly when cutting interest rates, you'd expect uh, to see a response in the economy sort of six to nine months ahead. Of, the, of, of, of that. So, you know, perhaps we're looking at, at things starting to tighten a little bit as we move into into the second half and, uh, and, and into the final quarter of this year. So I think those are the things which we're just keeping an eye on. You know, markets always look forward and are always looking to anticipate these things as well. So I think it's just sort of setting ourselves up for that. I was, uh, I was chatting to uh, a, a colleague uh, earlier and we were just saying, look, you know, 
there are increasingly uh, more opportunities to lose to, to lose money uh, in, in various things. And I think we just need to make sure, yes, absolutely, that we're we're not overpaying. But equally, I do think the market uh, and investors should continue to value companies that have got you know visibility and, and robust earnings. And I, I do think that delivery of earnings growth, delivery of dividend growth uh, are going to be things that investors are going to prize um, and, and are probably going to be prepared to pay a premium for. Uh, even in an environment where discount rates might be might be moving up, so I think that's our overall sort of biggest concern. Really, is just that sort of more more challenging outlook for profitability. Great. Okay. Thank you, Ben and Sam, uh, for all those insights today. You can find out more about the trust at www.dunedinincomegrowth.co.uk. And thank you so much for tuning in. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.